We love having these uh, family combined services. It's just great to have the young people in with us. So right now, if you are in elementary school, we would love for you to come and just sit right in this area, okay? Come on up for just a couple of minutes. All of our elementary students, come on up, come on up. Come, come, come. Oh, come, 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 come. That's only like 10 people will get that. But anyway, all right. Half of them are in my family. Um, <laughs> yeah, just have a seat right here. I just want to tell you some a real kind of a story kind of thing. Great to see you guys this morning. Thanks for coming up. All right. You know, when I was your age, um, every once in a while, my dad would go away on a trip. And we would go to the airport, and um, we would wave to him, and we would watch as the plane went all the way up into the sky until we couldn't even see it anymore. And then we would go back to the house. But you know what? Instead of just sitting at our house with our, our nose pressed against the window or something like that and say, when's dad coming? We're just going to wait for him. What we did was we enjoyed our lives, and we tried to do what mom and dad told us that we were supposed to do. That was what we did. And, and we did this, too. We always remembered, dad is coming back. And he always did. Now, what holiday did we just celebrate? Easter? What was it? Christmas. Christmas. I think some of you must have forgotten. What holiday did we just celebrate? Christmas. That's right. That's when Jesus came to earth for the first time. And then he grew up, and he died on the cross for us, and then he rose from the grave. And then he got his followers together, and he said, you know what, I'm going to go away for a while. And then he flew off, and they watched him until he disappeared into the sky. And you know what? He didn't have an airplane. Isn't that amazing? It's really cool. Well, until Jesus comes back, we should wait for him, but we don't want to just sit and wait only. We should do the things that Jesus asked us to do. And there are two things that were really important for him that he told us, I want you to do these things until I come back. As you are waiting, would you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Now, how are some ways, how can we love God? Just anybody, just say it real quick, anyone. How do we love God? Kindness is a great way to love God. Yeah. Pray. Praying. Excellent. What else? Anybody else? What are we doing in here today? What's this called? Worshiping God. Worshiping God. Yeah. Yeah, we do this together. That's good. Yeah. Here's another one. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey. Yeah. I know all of you wanted to say that one. Yeah. That's one way we can show our love for God is to obey, all right? So the second thing Jesus said was to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what are some ways we can love other people? Just say it out. Yeah, we can be kind. You are the kindness man. All right, that's great. What else can we do? How can you show someone that you love them? You can listen to them. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's one of the most important things that sometimes we forget. We can bless them. Yep. What else? Care for them. Excellent. Buy them a present. Yeah. There are a lot of ways we can show people that we love them. Right? One more. Play with them. Yeah. Spend time together. Absolutely. Those are all great, great ways that we can love people. And uh, one of the really important ways that we can do that is to share Jesus with them too, right? 
because that's the best news of all, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We want to remember Jesus is going to come back. And as we wait, we want to love God and we want to love people, okay? So let's remember to do that. Because when we do that, we're going to make God smile. And when Jesus comes back, then we're going to smile forever. Well, thank you guys. You just did a wonderful job listening. I appreciate it. You can go back and sit down. And after the service, make sure you stop by and grab a treat, okay? After the service, all right, in the lobby. And right now, Mr. Dave is going to come, and he's going to talk to us more about Jesus coming back. Would you welcome Dave Welsh? Maybe some of you were expecting something big to happen at the end of that clock rundown. Something more than me walking up on stage. But isn't that pretty typical of human behavior when we're in a countdown scenario? As Steve said, I'm Dave Welsh, and I'm the Global Outreach Minister here at Discover. Usually when I get a chance to preach, my audience is in prison, where they have to sit and listen to me, whether they want to or not. Hopefully you will choose to stay here and listen. Today we're going to be working mainly from Peter, 2 Peter 3, but also be touching on various different verses throughout Scripture. You can connect with that through your Bible or through version. Now let's imagine it's next Thursday night, New Year's Eve, and you're amongst the hundreds of thousands of people in Times Square. It's a minute to the end of 2015 and the start of the new year. Now the countdown reaches 30. And the ball begins to drop. And the crowd begins shouting, 10, 9, 8. Let's, let's change this up a little bit. Let's say you're near the ocean at Cocoa Beach, Florida. You're as close as the public is allowed to get to a NASA rocket launch. You've been waiting for a few hours and now only moments away from the actual blast off. You see smoke and steam rising from the base of the rocket. You hear the computerized warning sounding the countdown. Eight, seven, six. But let's get real for a minute. This time of year, we're in a lot of different count countdowns, aren't we? We just completed Advent, which is the countdown to the arrival of the Christ child. Students were counting down the days until they got to Christmas break. And now they're counting down the days until they have to go back. We counted down the shopping days till Christmas, and if you're interested, there's 363 days left till Christmas. <laughs> and of course, the countdown that occurs next Thursday as we count down 2015 and welcome in 2016. Or will we? There are so many things in our daily lives that we count down to, we anticipate, whether we realize it or not. And oftentimes, with a different sense of time, Things we look forward to seem to take forever to get here, and things that we're a little anxious about seem to rush towards us, get here faster than we want. Time is something difficult for us to grasp or comprehend. It can be both relative and absolute. 
Our sense of time can vary depending on our situation or environment. Like how students and parents were counting down the days until Christmas break, and now they're counting down the days till it's over with much obvious difference in attitude. The Greeks have a couple of terms that they use when they talk about time. There's chronos or kairos. Chronos describes clock time. When it's 10 o'clock for me, it's 10 o'clock for you. And kairos describes a special time, or in the fullness of time, or God's special time. Now here's an illustration that might help us distinguish between the two. A doctor tells a young couple that their child will be born on Jan or, uh, 10, 1043 a.m. on June 21st. So they go home excited to wait the blessed arrival of their child. They maybe even start a home countdown of their own till that day. But on June 19th, the young wife wakes her husband up at 5 in the morning and says, it's time. The baby's coming. He better not roll over and tell her it's not the 21st. It's not 1043. Go back to bed. You see, she's on Kairos time, in the fullness of time, and he's on clock time. In our scripture today, we're reminded of God's sense of time. We begin in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is but a day. The Lord really isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, <clears throat> and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. See, even God's perspective of time can be difficult for us to understand. It seems to me that when we first realize we're facing a countdown, we know there's only so much time left on the clock before some event's going to happen. It takes up with some excitement or enthusiasm or anxiousness and worry, depending on the circumstances of that. So we all need to be like the team that enters the field or the court, come running on through the hoop held by some cheerleaders, we're gung-ho, ready to go. The crowd's all with us, whooping and hollering at the start of the game. But then towards the middle of the second quarter, the crowd begins to mellow out, and the team seems to lose some of its intensity, some of its enthusiasm. But nonetheless, the clock is running out. Soon in the final minutes of the last quarter, the energy begins to resurge through the players and the spectators. Adrenaline begins to build. Hearts beat faster, and much greater joy is put forth because the awareness that time is running out is so clear to everybody there. And depending on which side of the score you're on, with different emotions. So this morning, like any good coach who's very clock conscious, and who's trying to get his team to step it up a notch so victory can be theirs, I want to remind us all, keep your heads in the game and stay focused the clock is running down to the final countdown. The clock in this world is running out. If you're the band Europe, you love a final countdown. 
It's what you do. Whether we realize it or not, the, the Bible makes it clear to us. We are in the final countdown. The last period buzzer started with the first appearance of Jesus Christ. We just don't have benefit of the clock that we can watch count down to the last moments. For most of my life, I was chasing the American dream and was pretty successful at it. I had a beautiful wife, two great kids, a job at the executive level of a prominent insurance company, pulling down six figures and bonuses. Things were going along real well. And we were attending a church, it wasn't DCC at the time, on a somewhat regular basis. Then things began to change. 2001, I lost my job due to a corporate merger. So I bought a franchise here in town and closed on that deal just before the tragedy of 9-11. A year later, because of the resulting down, economic downturn, I had to close it. The year after that, my dad passed away. And during that time, Cindy was also diagnosed with a form of lupus. In a period of four years, my world turned upside down in a way. But here's how God was leading me through that. First, he connected me with a guy that connected me with Kairos Prison Ministry and then got me involved in that. Then a friend of Cindy's invited us to Discover. On our first visit, we were warmly greeted as we walked in and then as we were sitting there just kind of taking in this, this new and very different environment for us, a wonderful grand woman who turned out to be Ruth Borton made us feel at home and very welcome. She simply turned around during the fellowship time and said, you guys are new here, aren't you? And then got to know us. We had found our church home. We became immersed believers six months later. But it wasn't until my first mission trip to New Orleans six months after Katrina that I became to an important realization. I had the whole wrong approach in life. It was my experience in New Orleans that really helped me turn that around, turn my perspective around. You see, I had been to New Orleans a number of times before, once when I was in the Air Force and several times on business. But to see this major U.S. city in, in devastation, to see that people had lost, their, lost everything, jobs, homes, businesses, schools, churches, in some cases, tragically, family. As far as you could see, it was total and utter devastation. I still have an image of driving through New Orleans at 10 o'clock at night and not seeing a single light for as far as you could see. This impressed upon me how fragile our world is and the importance of focusing on the eternal things that Jesus calls us because everything we chase here, money, careers, personal gratification, can and will disappear. It took me to my 50s to realize that the final countdown was on and I needed to be ready. In Hebrews 9.26, we are told Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The fact we're in the final countdown of earth was announced by Peter the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples in Jerusalem. Scripture tells us what happened that day. There was a sound of a mighty wind. Something appeared in the shape of tongues of fire descended over the disciples, and suddenly they were speaking in all different forms of languages. Scoffers and skeptics 
tried to write the miracle off as the disciples being drunk. But Peter stood up and testified, as we see in Acts 26, 2, 7, 16 and 17. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all the people. Make no mistake about it. We are in the final countdown. Sometimes we forget or we grow complacent like the team generally happens in the middle of an athletic con uh, contest. But all the while, the clock is running down. Tick, tick, tick. A conversation between Jesus and his closest followers is recorded in Luke 21 about Jesus' second coming and the end of the world. Here's some of that conversation beginning in, in verse 8. He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the end is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great earthquake, famines and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from the heaven. Now I can't tell you all the reason God allows things like war, disease, terrorism, acts of, of random violence, earthquakes, or other natural disasters to happen that take so many lives. But I will say I'm convinced that God takes no pleasure in those things happening. God takes no pleasure in allowing these events or other events to sweep away those people who refuse to believe in him only to stand before him in judgment. And know this, God takes no pleasure in watching the death of innocents, young or old. He explains to us in Ezekiel 18.32, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone. There's one more thing about this, these kinds of events. I believe God wants the church to see it as a wake-up call. It's as though he's saying, Hey, church, have you forgotten you're living in the final countdown? Keep your eye on the clock. The significance of us living in the final down, countdown can't be understated. Living in the final countdown means Jesus could be coming at any moment. That could be individually or collectively. It means that we must be ready for that return. It means we must take it seriously, our responsibility to help others be ready for that return. It means we, we must be serious about our responsibility to love God, love people, and impact his world. Because we learn from Matthew 25, beginning in 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That separation Matthew is talking about is the final judgment. When Jesus determines who will live with him for eternity in heaven or who will be swept away into the fire of hell forever. I don't want us to dwell in our last days, but rather to focus on how we live each day until our countdown runs down. One of the takeaways I'd like you to leave here with today is, in the life of a Christian, becoming actively involved in the local church congregation and building strong, loving relationships 
for other, with other believers isn't optional. It's required. We must get that into our hearts and minds and keep it there. We cannot isolate ourselves from other believers and live our, way, our faith in the way that Christ wants us to live it up. We cannot in solitude obey the many one another commands that is given to us in the New Testament. And that person who thinks he or she can live a life that is pleasing to God while ignoring the church is wrong. Christ's followers are committed to build strong, loving relationships with other believers. It makes that clear to us in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul tells us, beginning in verse 20, As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that it lacked it. And so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. There is no denying becoming actively involved in a local church congregation and building strong, loving relationships with each other isn't optional. He requires it. Secondly, we see that we do have a God-given direction on how to, to go about building these relationships. Imagine trying to put together a thousand-piece puzzle. Now, when I try and do that, I usually grab out all the edge pieces and form the frame. Those are pretty simple. And then I usually get the colors together and try and work on the little mini puzzles that fit the big one. But now imagine that the picture on the box doesn't match the picture you're working on. Or there's no picture at all. You just got a bag of parts. Well, you might be able to get together the edge pieces. Putting together the middle would be very difficult and very frustrating. Fortunately, God has given us many word pictures in the Bible to go by. We've already read one of them. The first was in 1 Corinthians 12. And I encourage you to read the entirety of, of Romans 12 on your own. But here's one we're going to go through together, and that's 1 Peter 4, where we read, beginning in chapter, or verse 7, The end of the world is coming. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. Do you have this gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself is speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All honor and glory and all, all uh, glory and power to him forever. Amen. Last week, Cindy and I were watching Republican debates on TV. 
Now this one didn't seem to be as contentious as some of the previous ones where they're all tearing each other down rather than focusing on their abilities to lead our country. It's sad, but in our world today that we seek to tear down each other rather than build each other up. And that sure plays itself out in our social media today. But while you can't find that kind of rudeness thrown at you in the Bible, you will find its pages cry out to us with advice. When it comes to our relationships, the Bible does tell us that each one of us should love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, and your whole mind. It goes on to tell us these. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. And honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another, then, as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Agree with one another. Serve one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgives you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. On and on and on we go. Admonish one another, encourage one another, bear with one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't slander one another. Just as we read through the many one another commands, think about how to apply them, and we find, this, we find them challenging us to first seek to, to understand, then to be understood. They instruct us to use the gifts and talents God has given us when it is appropriate and it benefits the church and not to impose our gifts on others. They command us to respect and submit to the leadership of the church rather than being critical, divisive, or subversive. They direct us to show honor and appreciation. Obviously, our situation is not like that predicament that we had with a jigsaw puzzle without a picture. We haven't been left in the dark. We don't have to guess what kind of picture God has in mind for the body of Christ. We've got God's direction on how we should relate to one another in the church. Now lastly, I'll add this thought to the mix. The church's ability to reach outsiders is directly proportional to the members' ability to demonstrate God's love for each other. When a church begins to experience a lack of growth in first-time visitors who return, there's a very, possible, very good possibility that there is something that overshadows the love of Christ for each, and for each other that exists in a healthy church body. Not long ago, Phil Lamasters of Living Hope Ministries stated that the common denominators in growing churches is attitude and atmosphere. When people walk into a church, encounter a sense of acceptance, and witness the love between members and their hearts for impacting the world for Christ, they want to be part of that. When they walk in and encounter a sense of indifference or dis disengagement between the members or the work that Christ calls us all to do, they don't want to come back. So you see, God commands us to develop loving relationships with, with other believers and then directs us to go how to go about it, not only for our good, but also for the good of those outside the church. Well, coming to worship every Sunday is vital to our spiritual growth. It's not enough. God expects more from us. We are called to live each day for Christ. It's not just coming to church on Sunday mornings that matter. 
but also how we live our lives Monday through Saturday. Our genuine faith must, faith must propel us towards the action for his kingdom. Our faith should be more than an intellectual agreement about who Jesus is and what he did. Lost people matter to God. He loves them deeply, and he wants them to turn back to him. That's why he expects us to impact the world for him and his kingdom. That's the message he's entrusted to his church. Nothing will enhance a church evangelistic efforts more than a body that is united in love and purpose. By this, Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do, how do people know you? I encourage us all to take a look forward to the new year, a fresh start, to think about what God calls each of us to do, love him and love his people. And let that transcend everything that we do. I don't like the term New Year's resolutions. It's kind of cliche, and most of us who make them rarely follow through. It's all good intentioned, but there's typically no follow through. I know I'm guilty of that myself many times. Rather, I invite you to begin the new year by committing or recommitting your life to Christ as he calls us to live. To live the remainder of our lives devoted to one another in love, and practice the love in the ways that God tells us to in his word. Open our hearts. Practice forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. Nix grumbling. Applaud efforts. Congratulate successes. Honor, love, serve, pray for, and encourage one another. Do what you, do what you must do to see that God's love flows between you and the others in this body. Do, so, do it so the lost will be one for Christ. Do it so you won't be lost to Christ. Do it so God receives the glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. In these next few moments as we stand and sing our song of invitation, if God encourages you to accept Jesus as your Savior, please be obedient to the voice of His Spirit. If in your heart you believe God is prodding you concerning your relationship with another believer, or if you find him nudging you to speak lovingly and boldly to an unbeliever, commit yourself to following God's leading. And remember, we are in the final countdown. The clock is winding down. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs>